For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. Isn't that good news? But hey, we are glad to have you guys here today, and uh, we had a great crowd in first service, great crowd this morning. Thank you guys for so much for coming out today um, to the house of the Lord, and we welcome also our Facebook folks. We must not forget them and the ones listening on the radio. Well, here we are. What? August the 29th. Summer is in the rearview mirror. It was 12 weeks ago, thereabouts, I think that's right, that we began our series on the Fruit of the Week Club and it has been a good series. I can say that. You've commented, but also I know in my life how much many of these messages have, have touched me, changed me, convicted me um, as I have presented them. And like I said, it's been a great, great series. Looking forward to starting Graves to Gardens um, in September. And uh, that's coming up pretty quick. And so uh, we're looking forward to that also. Are you glad to be here today? Yeah. Do you appreciate our praise band? Would you give them a round of applause? We need to do that. First off, because of crazy work schedules and everything, this is the first time in several weeks we had the whole team on the, on the stage. It was good. But y'all do understand that they come to both services. They stay voluntarily. And uh, we need to be sure and tell them thank you. We appreciate very much. Uh, we are blessed with a great worship team. We really, really are. Anyway, so here we are, the Fruit of the Week Club. Last week, and the one that I was dreading personally was this one on self-control. And I found this title from the old Lay's Potato Chips commercial, Bet You Can't Eat Just One. And that, for me, describes it all. Of course, the real problem is mine isn't potato chips. In fact, I had the COVID virus, you know, and I didn't totally lose my taste of, or smell, kind of, sort of. And things like I had sweet and I had salty and everything in the between was gone and I was eating a bag of potato chips, you know, and I'm going, gee, these just don't taste right. All I can taste is salt. And she tasted them and said, oh, no, they're just fine. So she took the bag and finished it off because she said, there's no sense eating the chips if you can't taste them. And all I can say is amen. So chips aren't my big deal. I'll tell you what is my big deal, and that is donuts. I love donuts. In fact, we now have a deal going. I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but we have this deal going with the custodial staff. They take break about 10 o'clock, and I've got, you know, on their good side, and Danny will call me and say, it's break time, and I'll go down there, and there'll be donuts or pizza or all kind of things. But, Judy, I want you to know that when I do sin, I sin limitedly because I do only have the one donut, you know. And I, I got to tell you all this in case you don't know this. You need to know this. If you have gotten the shot, if you are fully vaccinated, tomorrow, starting tomorrow, is a really good thing. You can go to Krispy Kreme and get two free donuts. And if you time it, yes, hello. You know, if you time it right, the hot light is on, get ready, go to heaven. Amen? Uh, yeah, you can't meet a Krispy Kreme donut hot out of the grease. And I don't think I could eat just one. I don't think um, that would happen. So, so as we talk about this, you know, I was dreading this series um, because of the idea of self-control. I don't, I don't think I'm very self-controlled. I think I, I'm an undisciplined person in way too many areas of my life. And, of course, the number one being food. But I realized that, you know what, this self-control idea is so much bigger than a donut. It really is. In fact, this is probably one of the most important messages that we will hear out of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Um, and hopefully I'll, I'll present that truth in a way you can grasp it today. But here's our first teaching point. It says uh, that self-control um, is the Holy Spirit's tool. It's our guide. And I'd almost use the word weapon, 
okay, is the Holy Spirit's tool, guide, or weapon to guide us away from sin, away from sin. And that's sins both of omission. Those are things that you should do and you don't do, like you should love and you don't love. You should forgive and you don't forgive. And also sins of commission. Those are things that you're... You do wrong. You just It's sin. It's a sin against God. But it also is the tool that leads us toward obedience and victory. And because it's, it's a tool that guides us away from sin, all of a sudden the tie-in with temptation, to me, became very clear uh, and very important. You know, it, it doesn't matter what sin it is, okay? Um, Judy shared with me a book she's reading and talked about gluttony. You know, once again... My first thought was food, but what the author said is anything that we do in excess and trying to find a high, a feel-good, a replacement for God, you know, that gluttony is a sin. It can be television watching, it could be shopping, um, it could be binging on anything, game, video games, whatever it might be. But those are things that, that, again, we need self-control in. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, I want to help you with that. Okay, I want to guide you away from that, but also want to help you in your obedience and victory as you go through life. Now, this is, you know, one of the things I don't think we think about a lot. We, we sang some great songs about Jesus today. But one of the things we don't really grasp about Jesus is the good things that he does for us, particularly the one that we find in Hebrews in chapter 4, verse number 15. You know, here, here's what it says. It says, it says listen, we do not have... I'm glad that stopped the first part. We do not have a high priest. We do have a high priest. But he goes on and says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, you know, somebody will say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. And you kind of want to go, no, you don't. No, you don't. You know, oh, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. Okay? But we actually have a high priest. His name is Jesus. And he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay? Well, how is that? Well, because he's one. He's a, a, a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. In other words, you know, Jesus is the one person that could actually walk in your shoes and go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through. You know, you could go, this is so, ooh, this just came to me. So, so I can go to God in prayer right, through Jesus Christ, his son, and say, say, Jesus, you know? And he goes, I do know. I do know. Hey, Jesus, you know how, yeah, I know how bad it hurts. Because, again, he's tempted like we are. He knows our weaknesses that we have. As creator, he knows our weaknesses. And he has dealt with this temptation, you know, but he never sinned. He was victorious. And let me tell you what's important about that. You know, I've never had the courage to go to Weight Watchers. But if I did go to Weight Watchers, and I got there, and there are two types of leaders. There's the leader there that's skinny as a rail, who's totally clueless about what it means to diet or have a weight problem, okay? Skinny, you know, like been skinny, always will be skinny. And I'm going, you don't need to be leading this group because you have no clue what you're going to, you know, what it's like to be here getting on the scale and wrestling with the weight. Or you can have a leader that, that may not be quite as thin, but at the same time, their testimony is this, you know, I've gone through where you've gone through, and I've lost that weight, and I've managed to keep it off. And that's the person I want to lead my Weight Watchers group. You know, when you go to AA, you don't find a bunch of uh, non-alcoholics leading the group. You find dry alcoholics, people who have won the victory, and that's who you want because you want someone who can identify with what you've gone through. And in our case, in the case of self-control, in the case of sin, that is the Lord Jesus Christ because he was tempted but never sinned. 
He was tempted but never sinned. How incredible is that? Now, here's the deal, our teaching point. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Um, he knows our weaknesses. Okay? He's our creator. Now, hmm, let, let me pause here. You're not going to surprise Jesus. Okay? You need to know that. No matter what you do or don't do, no matter the thought process, no matter how you struggle, you're not going to surprise him. He knows us because he created us. He knows our weaknesses. And in what we're going to talk about today, he has dealt with our temptations. He has dealt with our temptations. Now, in the scripture today, he's going to show us two things, that surrender and scripture are the keys. That surrender and scripture are the keys. Surrender looks something like this. It's when we reach a point where we can go to God and say, hey, God, now listen, I can't, but I believe you can. I can't, but I believe you can. And this is especially true in the area of self-control. I can't, but I believe you can. And of course, then, Scripture. You know, Scripture is so hugely important. It needs to be important in the life of every, every believer. You know, the Bible says over in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, that God, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. All Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. Over in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, you know, we heard that Word of God is living and powerful. It's living and powerful. In fact, over in Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, Thy word, thy word have I put in my heart. I have hid in my heart. Why? You remember anybody, anybody remember why? Yeah, that I might not. If you remember Bible school, this is part of the pledge for the Bible. That I might not sin against you. Hey, God, I, I put your word in my heart for a specific reason that I might not sin against you. And here comes Jesus now during his time of temptation in the wilderness that we're going to look at. And he shows us surrender. He surrendered to the Father. And we know that because he's in the wilderness. Okay? He, followed, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. We know that. And every time, you know, he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the answer to our lack of self-control and our temptations is it is written. It's having the Word of God in us and following the Word of God. And those are keys that do two things. One, they lock the door on temptation. Okay? Temptation is all about self-control. When you're standing at the door of temptation, you have the, the ability to say yes or no, and that is a situation, a point of of self-control, if you say yes or if you say no. So it locks the door of temptation, but then it unlocks the door to spirit-filled control. And again, this is just so big and so huge. So here's the setup. We've got Jesus, okay? He's just starting his public ministry, and we find him going somewhere, okay? And, and in Luke chapter 4, here's the setup for Jesus. The Bible says in verse number 1 and 2a, it says this. So one, one, then Jesus left the Jordan. Jesus left the Jordan. Is that big? Oh, it's real big. It's real big. Because see, John the Baptist was baptizing there, and Jesus, 
For those of you who think baptism washes away your sins, this is what you need to know. Jesus is baptized and he had no sin. So, so he taught us that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with washing away a person's sin. Okay? So Jesus goes down in the water and says, hey, John, I want you to baptize me. And John goes, no, no, no. I should be baptizing you. He says, hey, listen, we need to do this so everything will be fulfilled. And so Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. All right? As he's coming out of the water, this dove comes down from heaven, okay, representing just the falling of the Holy Spirit onto his ministry and onto his life. And then there's this, this booming voice that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, wow, that's just incredible that God would speak from heaven on this man named Jesus Christ, his son, and just affirms him, first with the dove, but secondly, with a loud, booming voice, that this is my son, and wow, and I'm proud of him. Wow, am I pleased with him. How incredible that is, okay? So he leaves that environment, okay? Now, this is where it gets a little dicey, all right? Then he goes on and says this. He was, one, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, that's good news. He's good news. He is, he is equipped, one, for service, and he's fixing to go in this incredible ministry, but also he's equipped for warfare. He's ready to do battle with the devil. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Great, great. Okay, so, so where is he going? Surely, surely he's going to Jerusalem. Man, it's the, it's, the, it's the hot spot of all things religious and all the leaders that have done so wrong, you know, misleading the people as far as the Messiah and all that goes. Man, if you're going to start a ministry, let's go to Jerusalem and let's just overthrow there the government, the religious government there. Let's, while we're at it, we'll overthrow the Roman government. Let's just do it all. That's not where God sent him. In fact, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. The wilderness. If you're going to start a ministry, I mean, go, go chart, plant a church. You look for a field. You don't look for wilderness. But that's where God sent him. And, and, and again, the really dicey thing is he went to the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So in other words, he starts this ministry. He's just heard the father say, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. The dove comes down. And then what does God do? What does God do? The totally unexpected. He sends his son into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted. Why? What? Well, the why is this? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. It's just another one of those wow moments where God shows his love. I mean, we know about this. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a sinless life, and then willingly, willingly was nailed to a cross, sacrificed his life, endured the wrath of God, all for one express purpose, to pay the price to be the atonement for our sin. He cried out and said, it is finished. And I remember telling you, was it last week? That if you ever doubt God's love, just look at this. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just look at this. 
But then we have this. We have Jesus Christ going to the wilderness. And he's going to the wilderness to be tempted. And he's going to be tempted so that he could look you and me in our proverbial eye and say, I want you to know I know what you're going through. That temptation that you've got right now, I understand. That pain that you're feeling right now, I want you to know I understand. That, that road that you're walking that's so difficult, I want you to know I understand. Because I was tempted. My pain was great. And I've walked in your shoes. And all because he loved us. Somebody say amen. It's just incredible that the, the Holy Son of God goes into the wilderness and is tempted for our benefit. How powerful is that? Oh, how great the Father's Oh, how great the Father's love is for us. That He would endure all of these and all of this to show His love. A couple of big teaching points we see from verses 1 and 2a. Teaching point 1 is this. You know, don't, and this is huge, don't allow your circumstances to blur the Father's love for you. If you're finding yourself right now in what you would call a wilderness, and you're going, I don't feel very loved right now, don't let your circumstances blur the Father's love for you. Let me tell you this right now. Look at me. If you find yourself in a wilderness right now, you mark it down. God may have allowed the wilderness, but there is a purpose for that wilderness. You know, the death of, of my dear brother Brent's dad, it's part of the natural process. We live and we die. But, but I watched as my brother walked this leading up to this point, and that I heard his voice on the phone yesterday, uh, a voice that was of a man I know has such great faith, but he was just broken. He was broken. But Brent understands that there's a purpose for this wilderness, and the purpose for the wilderness is to God be the glory, great things he has done. So, so if you're in a wilderness right now, just know there's a purpose. God doesn't bring wildernesses into our life for no purpose. Don't let the circumstances blur you. Don't, don't let the crazy politics, don't let the crazy pandemic, don't let the cra crazy culture blur you. Say, God, if you love me, you wouldn't allow this. Don't, don't, don't let that blur the Father's love for you. Um, his plan is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He, he doesn't even, like, he doesn't go, you know, gee, that didn't turn out like I thought. You know, he, he, his plan is perfect. It's, it's, not, it's not like his plan is good. It, it's not like his plan has its good points. You know, sometimes I plan something for the church, and I'll either go, A, that didn't go as planned, or, or B, I, well, it had some good points. His plan is perfect. And for you, it is. For you, it is. Your plan is different than my plan. But God's plan for both of us is perfect. And His timing is perfect. The length of it, the timing of it in your life, it's just perfect. He's perfect. Um, um, his purpose, what He has planned for you in your storm, in your wilderness right now, is a good purpose for you. I love this. You know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. 
And He delights in our path. So that means that God, God has His purpose, His plan. He's planning my steps. And it's a, pl- it's a plan that He delights in. It's a plan that He delights in. So, so yeah, His purpose is perfect. And all of that is possible because He is perfect. He is perfect. So, so we have this going on. Jesus leaves us this glorious thing. And, and, you know, boy, this is my son. I'm well pleased in him. And then he ends up in the wilderness. And point number two is this. You've got to remember that Satan is good at what he does. I know thanks to Hollywood and thanks to culture... Either, you know, a chunk of America doesn't even believe in a hell and they don't believe in a devil. It's really funny. They believe in God, but they don't believe in a devil. They believe in heaven, but they don't believe in hell. And it's kind of a whole deal. You, you get the whole thing. Um, but there's, in our culture today, Satan's kind of made like a joke, you know, a little red suit, pitchfork, sticking people in the bottom, you know, things like that. But you've got to understand Satan is a very strong adversary. Now, thankfully, our God is much stronger. Amen? Don't, don't lose sight of that. But he is quite the adversary, okay? And he's good at what he does. Now, he's got three things he'll try to do in your life, okay? You've got to believe this. And if you're writing anything down, I would write these down, okay? First thing is this. Blatantly, and in his, in his way of thinking, unashamedly, he will try and get you to sin. Now, the reason he wants that, he's trying to hurt God, Okay? And he's trying to ruin your testimony. In case you're wondering, well, why does God, why does Satan want me to sin? He wants to hurt the Father. He wants to hurt the Father. And he, he wants to, to hurt your testimony. That way when people say, well, yeah, he's a Christian and he did this. You know, he's a Christian, but he did that. That's why, okay? It's just not, it's not just trying to get you to sin. He's trying to hurt God and hurt your testimony, okay? Then the second thing is this. If that fails... He will destroy... Now, listen, y'all need to hear this because we live in a crazy world. If that fails, he will distract you with busyness. Someone said, one of our preacher friends in the big world, said, if Satan cannot get you to sin, he will make you busy. Because Satan knows that if he can get you busy enough, something's going to go. If he can get you busy enough, something is going to go. And unless you are an... Uh, incredibly strong and, and rare believer in Jesus Christ, always God suffers. Always God suffers. In a busy world, the first thing that goes is God. Whether it be worship, whether it be quiet time, whether it be serving, whatever it might be, the first thing that suffers is God. So, if he can't if he's not bold enough to get you to sin, then he will try to get you distracted with busyness. Okay? Then the third one. If that doesn't work, he will offer you easy. He'll offer you a shortcut. And I really believe that's what the three temptations we're going to look at is are all about. It's about you know, hey, Jesus, you don't need to do the cross. There are other ways, okay? And so what Satan will want to do is he'll offer you alternatives to God's will and God's way for your life. You know, these words came to my mind um, this morning. I mean, this was like this morning. And they were so, they were so unusual. I was sitting in my recliner studying. I want to set it up because I want you to see how this spoke to my heart. I got up from my recliner. 
I went over to my home desk, and I have a blotter on my desk, a piece of paper, and I wrote these words down. I wanted to see with my eyes if I believed and if I agreed with what I was about to, to say. And I did. I did. So with the thought that if that doesn't work, he'll offer you easy, a shortcut, here is my warning to you today. With the idea of he will offer you easy and a shortcut, beware, write these down, one, of fancy funerals, cheap crosses, and paved highways. Beware, beware, beware. Fancy funerals, cheap crosses, and paved highways. That, that may not make a whole lot of sense to you until you think about the scripture we mentioned last week that I was surprised that God brought it in. And I'm surprised again he did today. When we look at Luke in chapter 9 and verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now, I don't know if you've really grasped that, Okay, what it means to deny self. What it means is to die to self. So, so when you signed up with Jesus, Jesus blatantly said to you, he said, okay, here's the deal. If you want to come after me, there's some things you need to know. And the first thing you need to know is that if you're going to come after me, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to what you want so you can do what I want. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a, you know, if you feel like it, if, if it feels right, do it. No. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny self. And as you do your Jesus journey, assuming you're a Jesus follower, as you do your Jesus journey, okay, if dying isn't painful in your life, it's possible that he sold you a shortcut. If your life doesn't involve some painful funerals, if every every funeral you go to in your life I'm not talking about your friend dying or your mama dying I'm talking about you dying to self and, and if you do life and every funeral you go to is nothing but a fried chicken dinner you might be aware of the fact that Satan may have sold you a shortcut because dying to self is painful dying to self hurts and in the process of life if we are dying to what we want and, 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 and so we can do what God wants, if it doesn't involve some pain, then just be aware you might be at a fancy funeral. And Satan may be selling you something that looks like dying to self, but it's not. See, some of y'all think coming to church three times a week or, or two times a week or one time a week or, or coming to church four times a month, that's dying to self. No, that's called privilege. That's called privilege. If any man will come out and deny himself, take up his cross. The cross cost Jesus everything. The cross cost God his son, and the cross cost the son his life. Dying. Jesus, you know, Paul said, you know, I am crucified with Christ. Yeah, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So, so if you're doing life and taking up your cross isn't painful, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. See, the cross, the cross, no, we don't have to be crucified on the cross. 
because he said, I'm crucified with Christ. He, he took my place. But the cross is identity. And if you're in a world where your identity with Jesus doesn't cost you any pain or any separation, any mockery, you may have been sold a shortcut. You may have been sold a shortcut. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in the culture we're living in, Jesus is getting less and less popular. They, they used to tolerate the church and never tolerated Jesus in America. Well, now the church and Jesus are not being tolerated. And the more you identify with Jesus, the more painful it's going to be. Friends are going to reject you. When, when you it's not, if, if you haven't experienced it, you will. When people go, you're kidding me. You really believe in this Jew that, that died? Really? You believe that? It's coming if you've not experienced it. And, and if you go through life, man, man, you may have gotten easy or shortcut. And then, if any man will come after them, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, if your life is a paved highway, no bumps, no jiggles on the, on the steering wheel, you may have gotten easy or shortcut. Because see, following Christ can be difficult. Following Christ can be difficult. And if Satan can blind us, okay, so, so, that, so he'll have us embracing easy. And by the way, I think this has happened in America far too long. It, it costs nothing. It costs nothing to follow Jesus. This may be a strongest weapon against us. I really think the whole point, the whole point of the three temptations is an alternative to the cross. Satan wasn't all of a sudden sympathetic with Jesus' plight and going, you know, you really want to go through that pain. Satan knew that there was no cross There was no salvation. So if he could convince the Son of Man, the Son of God, to avoid the cross, then there'd be no salvation. So he does it a couple ways. You know, he does it like, for instance, in Luke chapter 4, verse 2b, the second part, and 3. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus was hungry. He says he ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Well, of course, it's a natural response. You know, don't forget Jesus Christ is 100% God, but he's 100% man. I mean, I can't go four hours without eating. He went 40 days without eating. Of course he was hungry. It's a natural response. So Satan shows up. In verse 3, the devil says to him, if, and and he's not questioning if Jesus is the Son of God. It's more like the if, like since. Since you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, doesn't that sound innocent? Doesn't that sound innocent? I mean, you're hungry, and you are the Son of God, and Jesus, I... Satan speaking, I know you can turn these stones into bread. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And here's the deal. There are two big things that are going on here. You know, Satan is trying to get Jesus to take care of it. This is going to come out right this time. Why go to God if you can handle it? 
Why go to God if you can handle it? You're his son. You've got the power to turn this stuff. You're hungry. You have the power to take care of it. Why go to God? And that's how he wants us to live. He wants us to live exactly like that. Hey, Dwayne, why lean on God when you can do it? Why? Church, hey, church, hey, church, listen, you've got money, you've got uh, prosperity, you've got programs, you've got a fancy building. Why lean on God? Why call God when you can handle it? That's the temptation. It's the temptation. You know, there's some preacher one time said these words, and it gets us in trouble so much in our Christian walk. We, we reach this point in our lives, and we're faced with a dilemma, a desire, a need's not met, a desire's not met. And we say, if I don't, it won't. In other words, if I don't do it, it may not happen. Oh, my. Families that have been lost, marriages that have been broken, you know, just just over and over again. When we say, God, I'll handle it. So, Jesus, don't bother God with this. In fact, you know, God, speaking of God, you know, I used to hear her say, speaking of God, do you realize you're in the wilderness? If God loved you, would you really be here? See, I mean, wouldn't God have put you in a better place than this? And, and hey, hey, Jesus, what if God doesn't show up? How, how long are you going to wait on him? It's been 40 days. What if it's 50 days? What if it's 60 days? And he'll speak that same garbage to you. How long are you going to wait on God? How long? What if he doesn't show up? What if it doesn't happen? That's what he will feed And the answer is in Luke chapter 4, verse 4. Here's, here's what Jesus said. Remember, he, he said, surrender in Scripture. But Jesus answered him and said, It is written, man must not live on bread alone. Here's what he's telling Satan. He's saying, Satan, here's something you need to know. My hunger is not about bread. It's not about bread. It wasn't about bread. If God doesn't show up for 50 years, it won't be about bread then. It's about my faith and my trust in God. It's about my faith, my trust in God. More than, more, listen, listen, my brothers and sisters, more important, more important than the bread is your faith and trust in God. And of course, he, he, I could see this happening. This is me speaking. I understand that. And I'm sure, you know, Satan said, if I, can get, if I can get Jesus, if I can get Jesus to go ahead and turn this stone into bread, it'll make it easier next time when he's trying to win the masses over. And I'll whisper in his ear and say, hey, remember that time in the wilderness? Remember how you turned that stone into bread? Why don't you do it now? Because when you feed people, when you feed the masses with bread, they won't crucify you. They'll make you king. 
In fact, in John chapter 6, after he fed the 5,000, the Bible says Jesus was concerned that the people would come and take him by force and make him king. King. And Jesus knew. Oh, there was a time to feed the 5,000. There's a time for bread. This wasn't that time. This wasn't time. And again, Satan, wanting to avert the cross, was maybe making a gateway opportunity for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, now listen to this. Jesus, you did it then. Why not do it now? Be careful, folks. He'll come and say, you did it then. You were unfaithful one time. Why not be unfaithful again? Hmm. The second temptation to avert the cross was what I just simply call divided loyalties. Divided loyalties. So, so then Satan takes him up, I assume a mountaintop, takes him up and shows him, now this is miraculous, all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. So, so here we are on top of a mountain now, assumedly, and all of a sudden, miraculously, Satan goes, look, and he sees all that shows all the kingdoms of the world. Now, again, I think we could say certainly that, that Jesus knew he was going to be king and Satan knew that he was going to be king. And so he says, hey, listen, I will give you their splendor. See, see all of this? I will give you their splendor and all this authority. You know, all this authority, I will give you all of that. Because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Now, that was an overstatement. That was an overreach. But Jesus did say in John also that he's the ruler of the world. And we also know that Adam was given over to rule creation. And then he sinned and handed it right into the lap of Satan. So, no. No, he didn't have it all. But he did have some authority. And, and he said to Jesus, hey, all this is mine, and, and I can give it to anybody who wants. You know, so if you then will worship me, it will be yours. And, and, I, and listen, and listen, I don't for a moment, I don't for a moment think that Satan was saying, now, this is forever. This is forever. You know, so you've got, you got to worship me forever. No, no, no. I think Satan was just saying, you know, no one will know but me and you. Just, just fall down for a minute or two or, or five minutes. Just worship me for five minutes. And no one will ever know. And here's the deal. Here's again. Remember that cross thing we keep talking about? Listen, forget the cross. Just worship me. Not not forever. But just for a moment. You can skip the cross and go straight to the throne. See, Satan honestly believed that all of this was about thrones. When Jesus knew it was all about redemption. There'd be a time for a throne. But it was about redemption. It was about the cross. Just, just, just fall down and worship me for a little while. You can skip the cross and go straight to the throne. See, Satan craves worship. He craves it. And he was craving something that Jesus would not give him. Because the Bible says in verse number 8... And Jesus answered him, listen, Mr. Satan, you need to know this. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There, listen, there, there's no way. There, there's, not, there's not an hour. There's not a minute. There's not a second of me that will ever worship you because my heart belongs to my Father. Amen. Now listen, 
Listen, Satan will come to you and you want something so badly or you are hurting so bad. You want revenge. You want revenge. If someone's hurt you and you'll do anything to get revenge and Satan will come and worse, you know, whisper in your ear and he's going to say, listen, listen, just for a minute. Just let me make the call. Just worship me. And if you're not careful at that moment, it's going to sound logical. See, you've got to determine that, that the man who hung on the cross is your king. And that's when you can look Satan dead in the eye and say, let me tell you something, Satan. Not for an hour. Not for a minute. And not for a second will I worship you. Because my heart belongs to the king. My heart belongs. Well, he tried one more thing. The Bible says in verse number 9, so Satan then um, takes him to Jerusalem. And I thought this interesting. Where, where did we think Jesus should have been in the first place? In Jerusalem. <laughs> I just hear Satan going, this is where you should have been at the start. You didn't, you didn't deserve the wilderness. Oh, but Satan never whispered that in your ear. You don't deserve the wilderness. So he takes him to Jerusalem. Had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point. And then he said to him, okay, so if, or since, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Again, keep in mind, it's the aversion of the, of the cross, avoiding the cross. And so, and so the story goes on, okay, and says this, you know. Um, um, he will, it's written, you know, in verse 10, 11, it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. Hey, angels, I got a job for you. Yes, sir, what do you want me to do? I'll give you orders. Um, he'll, he'll give you orders to protect you. Um, and they will support you with their hands so that they will not strike your foot against a stone. Hey, do listen, there's no danger here because we know the Father loves you and He's going to protect you. And so just jump off, okay? And He's got His angels there and they're not, you're not going to strike your foot against even a stone. Now, there's two things that you need to know. One, He misquotes Scripture. You know, Satan tried to do what Jesus did, and he never does it right, okay? Because it should say, he will protect you to protect you in all your ways. But he left that part out. And then he misinterprets Scripture. Because it seems to teach, no, it doesn't seem to teach, Satan's interpretation of the Scripture is, no matter what we do, God will rescue us and save us. I know you say, well, that sounds good. Oh, really? Well, I tell you what, go out on Highway 13 and stand in front of the highway in front of a truck. What's your chances of survival? Oh, that would be zero. That would be zero. We're tempting God. He, he said, look, just, I know, I know it sounds bad, but tempt your father. Just go ahead and listen. He'll, he'll take care of you. He'll, he'll do, do what you want. Because we all know God will take care of you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Has, has, has you heard a whisper in your ear before that seemed to say, yeah, go ahead, cheat on your vows. Go ahead and steal. Go ahead and, you know, God will take care of you. God's a caretaking God. But God doesn't avert natural consequences either. 
It says in verse 12, And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. When, when, when the bottom line comes, Satan, you need to know something. I'm not going to test. I'm not going to tempt my father. And I think I would add, He's not that way. We don't test God. We don't tempt God. He's worthy of our allegiance, our total allegiance. That was it. End of story. Three big temptations. No, no, no. And I love this because the Bible says in verse number 13, and after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him. How long? For a time. For a time. It's so important that we understand this fruit of the Spirit. You know, these are fruit that live in us, but they become active in us when we are filled with the Spirit. When we are surrendered to the Spirit, that's when these fruit become active. And if we want victory over these kind of temptations, it happens when we are willing to surrender and follow Scripture. The power of the Holy Spirit is when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are surrendered uh, to the Spirit, and we follow the Spirit's guide of the Word, of the Word. He'll be back. He'll be back. Let me read one quote. I wasn't going to read this. And you may not, I have liked this guy because, how many of y'all do you version the story of the day? Anybody do that here? The story of the day in you version? Yeah, yeah. And you know, they always had the little video, Nan. You know, well, one of my favorites is N.T. Wright, and he's a professor in Cambridge, and he's sitting in this big office over with all these old books and stuff, and he's got that British accent, you know. But here's something N.T. Wright said. He said, successful resistance to temptation may result in an increase in moral muscle. In other words, it's going to make you stronger. Okay, when you resist temptation, it's going to make you stronger. But, 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 that is because you're going to need it. A temptation resisted may become more, not less, fierce. The more we stand for God, the more we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him, the more fierce the temptation, the more fierce the attack. And now I've got to read another verse. Because if I don't, I'd be wrong. It's that one we used, what, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Let me just read it to you. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. Someone say, God is faithful. God is faithful. No matter how hard Satan attacks, no matter how he plays his ploy and tricks, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more then you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And that way out is spirit-filled self-control. And it works in any situation, Ezra, and in any sin. His grace, his power is sufficient. Amen? Amen. Why don't you bow your heads there, please? Oh, I'm grateful that God gave us this opportunity together.
today. Once again, I needed it. And I pray it spoke to your heart. Beware of the enemy. He's good at what he does. But our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is wiser. All we have to do is surrender to him. God, I can't, but I know you can. And then, let's get into the word of God. In Psalm 119 again, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, speak to my heart through your word. As Jesus said every time, it is written, it is written, it is said. Help us to do the same. This is our time of decision. We talked a lot about the cross today. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus and how you can be forgiven of your sins, it's not about church. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with the living Son of God. And I'll be standing down front, and I'll be glad to share that with you um, today. It's why we're here, really, to worship, but to give you people like us opportunity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then for all the rest of us Jesus followers, may we today understand, tell Mr. Satan that Satan, not for an hour, not for a minute, not for a second, will I worship you. My heart wholly belongs to God. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for speaking, Father, to our hearts today. I pray for my friend who might be here on Facebook who needs Jesus. Maybe today be the day that they say yes to him. And, Father, for all of us, as we finish this series, Father, may we understand that you have given this fruit, all of them, to us. May we release them into our lives by our own surrender and submission to you. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.